Hi, and welcome to Mind Rolling. The two mind rollers are, are back here for another week of uh, adventures in consciousness. And uh, this is Raghu Marcus, and I'm David Silver, and our podcast this time is really about spirituality and politics, politics and spirituality. And uh, also, this podcast uh, will be the first that goes to realitysalvage.com, which is a, an amazing website, uh, an incubator for consciousness exploration of all kinds. And we're very happy that they're going to be uh, highlighting or spotlighting or at least giving a space on their real estate for our, uh, our venture here. But, Roger, let's... Um, well, wait, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, they're uh, obviously most well-known for the intersection of psychedelics and consciousness. And uh, and we've talked so much about our whole uh, lives were thrust into the arms of uh, the East, shall we say, and into uh, more of uh, understanding reality because of psychedelics, absolutely. And so we feel uh, real aligned with the work that they're doing and uh, and they're expanding that work um, much more, and we're happy to be uh, to be lined up uh, with them. And of course, uh, uh, you and I, uh, in talking about politics and and spirituality, um, just to go back a little bit, uh, we both should do it because we come from opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, I'm from Montreal, and as you know, these Canadians, we Canadians are fairly apolitical, and I grew up in a completely apolitical household, and we didn't even know we had a government. Once the Queen came by, and my parents took me down there, I was like five years old in Montreal, and it was like we actually went and hailed the Queen, which is, I know, our closeness to you there, Mr. Silver, but, uh, and your household, though. Don't drag me into this. I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I just work here. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we came from totally different backgrounds because I grew up in, in the north of England and my family was to the left of Stalin, uh, <laughs> my father and mother. And we were indoctrinated with socialist and communist propaganda from the age of zero to 15. So even though I did kind of transcend that a little bit when I went to university, it's still in me. And that sort of left liberal progressive thing is part of my life. And so it is an issue for me and for Raghu in different ways as to how, how do you interact with politics and, and activism now and how did we? And what are the uh, inherent, you know, sort of conflicts, even contradictions in being on some kind of spiritual path and being effective to try and make things better in the society? Yeah. So what do you want to say about that, Raghu? Well, first I want to say that although we were way apolitical and then growing up in the 60s and all, I mean, you know, there was a war in Vietnam, so we certainly were at least, at the very least, emotionally involved against the war. And But ultimately, we were also involved as we, uh, boy, we were down at the border there and shuffling people over, at least a couple of people. One, I ended up uh, uh, in a little our little commune with, not commune, it was like a house with a bunch of us in there, uh, whose name is Jesse Winchester, actually a, an incredible uh, singer-songwriter from Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, he's still up there. <laughs> he never went back, although he got a pardon at one point. So uh, off, uh, you know, uh, as uh, some of you know, if you've listened to Mind Rolling, uh, we, uh, in my case, ended up in California, and 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 David, uh, you know, spent some time out there as well at that time, and and we talked about, um, you know, I, in my experience, was getting tear gassed and getting high and thinking, boy, this is a great place out here. Even the air is get you high, and that's uh, how political uh, we were at that moment. Um, I think though that um, one interesting thing we certainly became involved in in the spiritual movement quote unquote meaning we were all interested in eastern stuff and we were uh, you know studying different things we were listening to krishnamurti you know and so on and so forth and uh, gurjeev uh, uh, you've talked about uh, in in your family um so but i remember looking askance at people who were out there um, throwing bottles at the Bank of America uh, windows because uh, 
it didn't seem much different than the tear gas that was coming back. I mean, it was just everybody, you know, as, as much as they were polarized, they were seemingly coming from a very similar place. And obviously anger is the, is the, is the common denominator there. Um, Dave, what do you think about that? And yeah, yeah go ahead. Well, you know, I, I, at that time, going back to then, the war was so virulent and so atrocious to everybody um, that it was very hard not to be angry. But in the years since, not you know, not to manifest anger and and be and be even violent. But I was a little more involved than you were. But I was never into the weatherman uh, end of it, the real sort of activist thing. Literally, bombs were thrown. Uh, now it's not that different. I mean, we're talking about now and then a lot, Rago and I, and the politics now of the last, 2012 and 12, 2013, which is what we're talking about right now, uh, people got incredibly angry in the election of um, Obama, re-election of Obama, the uh, awful shootings that have taken place with AR-15 assault rifles brought up the whole gun lobby, and Facebook is just absolutely ablaze with it. And I found myself taking part in that a little bit, but trying to cut out the adjectives, trying to cut out the adjectives and just stick to the facts. And see if we, at least from our side, we wouldn't be so crazed. And I think that gets back to something that we talked about in the 60s and 70s too, which was how could we reconcile trying to follow a path of love and peace and devotion with um, fighting things that were clearly awful uh, before civil rights? I mean, I remember before civil rights, uh, you know, so one had to stand up against that. But Martin Luther King junior showed us how to do that he really did i mean you know his gandhi-esque approach to a, a nightmarish situation in the united states of america particularly in the south but everywhere was to be a peaceful warrior so from that i learned a lot i learned a lot from mlk honestly mm -hmm. didn't you roger really yeah. uh, no absolutely i mean you know total hero then now um you know i have a little piece here that i thought uh I would play that uh, it's it's something that uh, Ramdas uh, gave a talk. You know, it's quite a while ago, twenty, thirty years, whatever. Uh, and in that talk, uh, he 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 relates uh, his own experience around this subject. So I thought, why don't we just play this for for a minute? Um, it's just a minute long or something, and then um, we can uh, talk about that. Hang on, let me see if I can get this to work. Certainly the 60s were the period of LSD and the Haight-Ashbury, and that wasn't political in large part. That was spiritual and consciousness. Um, and there were also was a lot of political activism. And that was a very fruitful, exciting, powerful time, the 60s, and we're still sort of reverberating from that. The problem that happened in the 60s was that it polarized between the spiritual and the political people, and that the political people felt look, we've got to, you can't go work on yourself when you're sitting in the middle of a, a mess that could explode any time. We've got to clean up the world first before we work on ourselves. And the spiritual people felt that the, the world is a reflection of the inner turmoil in people and the inner confusion, and you have to work on yourself first in order to work on the world. So that it polarized, and I remember having very sort of angry discussions with people like uh, Jerry Rubin and Allen Ginsberg and people like that. Now here it is uh, ten years later, and um, we watch what happened to the Chicago 8 or 9, and we see that uh, Allen Ginsberg is a student of Trungpa Rinpoche, and Dave Dillinger is a very spiritual guy in many ways, and Jerry Rubin has been through the Fisher-Hoffman method, and on and on they began to realize that they had inner work to do because they saw that if they protested against something in which they saw that which they were protesting, if their anger, if they were attached to their anger, they kept creating the hell they were trying to get rid of all the time. And so it wasn't clear that they... They did incredible things. I mean, the end of the Vietnam War and, the, and Watergate and a lot of things have happened that are the result of incredible political activity. But at the same moment, there was a lot of paranoia and anger created as a result also so that I think that the political people became more conscious that just like scientists realize an experimenter realizes that the experimenter is part of the experiment so a political activist realizes that his being or her being is part of the political action so what's amazing about that uh, talk from Ramdas is the things that he's talking about then are absolutely so relevant, and by the way, I think this talk was from 1979, 
uh, at BAI in New York, and he's of course speaking of the '60s, but then and then talking about ten years forward from there. But you know, the basically the there was a major polarization of of uh, people into spiritual, um, you know, looking uh, at just within that world, and were very apolitical. I was one of those people for sure. And then the political people were looking down like you are just sitting around, you know, contemplating your navel. You're useless, you know. But then uh, what he says, uh, Ramdas says in this thing that's that's interesting, is that people like Ginsburg and uh, and so on, you know, became involved with with uh, different practices, Buddhism and Ginsburg's uh, case. Who was Dave? Who he was talking about? Uh, Trump, well, he, he, you know, his, his involvement with Trump, but then he was talking about Dave Dellinger, yeah. who was one of the Chicago eight protesters who was, you know, in, in court with Abby Hoffman. Right. They all in some way became spiritual, but then so did the Beatles, you know, the Beatles were political. And then suddenly they were exposed, John Lennon in particular, to all kinds of weirdness coming out of angry, angry revolutionaries, so-called. And I wanted actually, Raghu, to read something from John Lennon's song, Revolution, the Beatles song which sort of says what happened, mm. we all turned a little bit like this. Part of the song, he says, you say you got a real solution. Well, we'd all love to see the plan. We're doing what we can. But when you want money for people with minds that hate, all I can tell is, brother, you have to wait. Don't you know it's all going to be all right? So he said then that he wouldn't get involved in violent protest, uh, but would still remain, this was John Lennon, in the activism that had to take place in women's rights, gay rights, uh, violence, you know, the whole thing. And I think people now, sh you know, without sounding like pontificating, but, you know, know that in those days, uh, it was a big mix. It was a big stew of people trying to find their inner life, but being absolutely outraged by what was happening in the society and then having to deal with that. And Ramdas spoke so eloquently about that, right, Rago, about, you know, just not giving the anger back. He was so good at that. He really was, you know, is still uh, good at showing us how to be detached from the anger, but it doesn't stop the intensity of the, um, right. of the activism. Right. Just like right now, yeah. you know, when people say natural gas is fracking gas. They're not joking that that's such a terrible problem for so many parts of the United States now. And you have to do something, I think. But you can't get crazed and angry at the people that are doing it, I guess. Well, Would you, you know, like to uh, expand on that, please. Yeah. Oh, thank you, sir. I will certainly. Uh, <laughs> you know what, though the the truth is, I think that uh, what we're seeing is w when we talk about these are issues. You know, Ramdas was talking about these issues from the '60s, and you know, they they haven't changed. These guys that did go out, you know, Dillinger and and Ginsburg and whoever else, and uh, even Jerry Rubin, um, and they did make some changes inside themselves. They didn't stop, you know, uh, going out there and, t and doing the social activism that they were doing. They didn't stop doing it, and they blended that in with what they were, you know, that was developing s some spiritual compassion, a uh, heart of compassion, What was still something that they... Um, they continue to do. Are we missing some of that today when we see the vast polarization? And and I think there's a natural thing. I, again, from my own point of view, you know, I've, I just read, for instance, an article in Rolling Stone today from, you know, Matt Tavey about the, uh, the bailout of these banks. I mean, holy God, it's atrocious what's gone on here and, and what's let, uh, that these people have been not just let off the hook, but they've got, he got a Ponzi scheme going still. You know, using the government's money. I mean, the, it's it's an incredible article. It's, a, it's the article with uh, Jimmy Fallon, is it, on the front cover? I think. Anyhow. Jimmy um, Kimmel. I think it's Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel. Kimmel Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, okay. not Jimmy Fallon. Who's um, watching? You know, I, yeah, I mean, right now, you know, I, I, I hear today on C-SPAN that they still are not really seriously considering bringing back the Violence Against Women bill, which they let expire. And I mean, every single... Uh, woman senator has voted for bringing, you know, for bringing that back because it's an outrageous thing, isn't it? That this, this thing, which really did help people who were being battered, um, deal with it in a serious way. And it also helped the police force deal with it in a, in a, in a consistent way. 
So those kind of things, I guess we still have to be, if we're not passionate about it, then we're not really doing right by the very core of, of, of yoga and Buddhism, you know, which is um, compassionate service, action, service, yeah. you know. And, and I don't want to sound like a, a self-righteous person because I really criticize myself all the time for not doing enough about these kind of things because sometimes it's really overwhelming. I mean, what are you going to do about the fact that we've still got tens of thousands of nuclear weapons pointed at each other all over the planet? I mean, they haven't gone away just because people aren't talking about it. They have not gone away. They're there. Now, I, the difference between me now and then was I used to get so crazed I'd be ranting, you know, like Alex Jones or something. But um, now I don't rant because you get older and you realize that didn't help. It just creates, as you said, Raghu, it, the polarization gets worse. So how, does, how do we um, assuage that? How do we assuage that so we can meaningfully uh, maintain the fight, the struggle, uh, but not... Be uh, not let the anger rub off on us. Well, and he, therefore, end up in a contradictory yeah. and mm. uh, you know, yeah, primitive, primitive condition. You know? Yeah, which is obviously part of our evolution. Um, well, I, again, you mentioned that uh, you know there was uh, again something. I mean, Ramdas has really addressed this because he has been involved for you know all these years with uh, social activism and political activism. And uh, and his part has been to uh, advise. I'm going to talk about a a, a group that he has uh, helped found and 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 uh, advise from the very beginnings that is involved in social activism. But I think this is key. Uh, he said, in terms of solving this crucial and critical issue of being able to take social action and make it effective. Um, it, you have to create a new way of consciousness. It's a new level of, of thinking about them. You have to break the set. I think that's the biggest thing, because when I was talking about reading this Matt Taby article in The Stone, um, you know, I got all angry. God, these people, and Obama, how can he let this happen? This is this is robber barons, are, you know, the, the whole nine yards, and I got all the vitriol, and and so, you know, I immediately recognize that we are so caught in, in this polarization, caught in, in the set, you know, that the wave. We're caught in that set. Uh, and, and, and we do need to break the set. And how do we do that? I mean, there has to be more mass conscious. He talks about when there's any kind of confrontation, the confrontation usually increases the amount of hurt and anger and polarization, ultimately. No matter what the short-term gain is, there's a long-term loss in increasing paranoia. In high-energy centers in the country, that polarization and paranoia seems to precipitate out much faster. Obviously, there's many more people be able to gather in, 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 uh, in, in small confines in huge numbers. If I identify with any side of any position then that attachment to that side makes me see the opposite side in terms of an object as them. Seeing another being as them is what the problem is. That's what it boils down to. And that how to break that set, that requires a lot of self-searching and a lot of work on oneself. And again, you know, as we both say over and over on this podcast the last thing we need to do is pontificate about the shit that we are propagating ourselves day to day. And I, I certainly feel right in the midst of that. So it is a very difficult situation, but um, the it's taking one small step around mindfulness, I think, is, is a key. You? Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I mean, I, totally. The mindfulness comes in the presentness. And understanding that this is all, as as the Beatles said, all things will pass, you know, must pass. So don't get too crazed about it and keep your sense of humor, but don't stop trying to mitigate some of the terrible iniquities that we see all around us. We can only, you know, the Navajos used to say, Raghu, that you could only deal with people you could see from your teepee, in a way of, mm -hmm. of service, in a way. Uh, another part of the, the tribe will be too far away to think about. Well, now we have 7 billion people that we know about because of media. And so what do you do? We know now in the Central Dem Democratic Republic of Congo, I think that's Democratic Republic, there are atrocious child armies, uh, rape as a weapon, 
So it's overwhelming. And as you said before, you can only do one step at a time. But I think it is true that once you become aware of these you know, terrible things, Ramdas has always, and others have said, you know, if you can't maintain that presentness and lightness of being, it will, you won't help the situation. But look, we do see all kinds of things being changed by people being tremendously activist. It, it, it is going on. I wanted to ask you something, or, or bring up something right now, which is, of all people, the, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is the world's um, most profound articulator of peace and love, forgiveness, and kindness. In the last few months, we've seen a tremendous increase in the self-immolation of Tibetan monks in mm. Tibet yeah. because of the severity of the Chinese oppression, occupation. What, is, what do you think about that, Raghu, really? I mean, what does it make you feel when you see those incredibly de dedicated uh, spiritual beings? I can't imagine. Killing, you know, what is going on here? Is, is that necessary or is it just, is it, in other words, is anything going to get done by just talking about love and peace? Or do some people have to actually sacrifice in a Christ-like way their incarnation? to show the world that this is terrible, that the situation in Tibet is absolutely execrable, hideous. And yet no one's talking about it except, you know, rock stars and, 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 and people in the spiritual, on the spiritual path and, and other... But, you know, we're not really concerned about it. Well, I, as far as the United Nations go and as far as the, you know, powerful nations... They're all completely afraid of China, so there's no way that any any one of these uh, governments or institutions, the, uh, you know, it's, yes, it I you know what I think of when I when I read this or see this I think of, I do think of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and I think of the pain that he must experience, yes. when 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 this happens, and, uh, you know I I th I think that they. I, did he not say that as far as the the act which normally in in, in you know is a, is a an act that uh, causes incredible karma I think he even said that they would be that that would not take place with these monks in terms of committing that act do you remember anything about that well I I don't but I do remember that when the same thing was happening in in Vietnam uh, with the Buddhist monks in Vietnam in the late 60s. It did bring tremendous attention, even more attention, to the horror of the situation. So in that sense, they probably did save lives. And in this way, I mean, just I'm a perfect example. I see on the Huffington Post uh, a picture of a burning monk, and then I realize that 50 of these gentle people have done this in, in the last few months. And um, it aroused me to, oh my goodness, it hasn't gone away. It's difficult because I've got, you know, we've got problems in New York City that we need to deal with and, with, and, and in North Carolina and everything. So you can't do everything. But the one thing you can do, we keep going back to it, I guess, is this, no matter how horrific it seems it is, you still have to deal with it with a certain kind of presentness and detachment and um, compassion, even for those that are the perpetrators, which is real tough. You know, Raga, maybe could you play that other um, mm. rock piece, which is about that. It's about... How do you deal with a, 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 an entity which could be an enemy? And, and, and how do you deal with that, with an enemy, really? Okay, here we go. This is uh, another bit of a talk that Ram Dass gave uh, uh, during that same time. Uh, it was an interview with the BAI. I learned a delicious lesson because... Um, uh, I arrived at Heathrow Airport in London to be uh, guest speaker for the World Symposium, and uh, I went through the uh, immigration, and I was down picking up my bag, and I felt an arm, a hand on my arm, holding me tightly, and the man said, well, sir, you nearly got away from us. And I said, I didn't know that I was trying. It turned out that since 1966, I had been on the Home Secretary's list of, uh, it's called people who are non-conducive to the welfare of the United Kingdom. Uh, because of my connection to Tim Leary and drugs and so on. And um, so I was brought upstairs to the detention room where for uh, uh, 10 hours, I guess, I was there with uh, a group of delightful Pakistanis, Iranians, and Indians, all of whom were non-conducive to the welfare of the United Kingdom. And we had a... <laughs> I couldn't have spent a more delightful day. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we were led to the bathroom with armed guards and taken in armed buses to cafeteria where the, uh, the uh, cook would open a locked window and hand out the food and lock it again in case we should leap through the window and, and uh, attack her. And um, finally, at around 5 or 6 o'clock, they decided that uh, I was really too bad to let in. And then they couldn't find a, an, air, an airline that would take me out of the country. I wanted to go to Amsterdam. Finally, they got Persian Gulf Airlines to take me. And they delivered me to the plane with armed guards, explaining to the stewardess that I was being deported. And all the people on the plane were watching me to wonder what kind of a, was I a sex maniac or a, you know, was it a bomber, a mad bomber? So I went to Amsterdam, but World Symposium had gotten on the case, and they got involved with a member of parliament and the Home Secretary. And the next Tuesday, I was invited back in, met by a government official with a warm welcome. and. Uh, and he and I discussed the fact that people could change and that I was now really a good guy and that I loved England. So, um, what, first of all, one of the things that, profound things that I noticed about myself and my changes was that I thoroughly delighted in the day because I wasn't really attached to how my days come out and finding myself in detention for a day when I was about to be a <coughs> received by a world symposium and it's treated like a crook all day, it was as interesting and delightful as it could have been the other way, which blew my mind that it could be that way. And the other thing is that I understand the predicament of governments, and I don't feel that they were doing anything other than protecting their, the people of their government, which is what they're supposed to do. If they let in people who are in any way destructive to the, the fabric of the culture, uh, they're held responsible for that. And we have a very funny thing where we are very... We're caught between a tremendous paternalism we invest in our governments and then a tremendous demand for independence. And we're independent until something goes wrong and then we want to blame the big daddy for doing wrong. And I think there's a very delicate balance. Every time I come to the United States, I'm searched and I go through that. And I keep explaining to them I'm not that guy anymore. But the computer runs slowly and I think you have to develop a sense of humor instead of making everything... I'd rather, if I'm gonna fight issues, I'd rather fight more interesting issues. It seems to me that the, that the development of compassion, the concept of compassion, is some combination of um, human feelings and being in the world and feeling all the feelings of pity and pain and suffering and hope and joy and sadness, and also a kind of an equanimity of mind that comes from seeing that it's all kind of a dance and it's all quite perfect God's law unfolding. And it's that balance that's really where compassion lies. And with compassion, you, it seems to me, you develop an appreciation of what karmic predicament other beings are caught in. And you can see sort of why they are the way they are. And it is true that very often you, in order to fulfill your role as a citizen or as a human being, you have to act against another person's actions. You have to stop it or control it or protest against it. But the question is whether that other being is their action or is a being who is caught in a web of stuff of which the action is the result. And I constantly look and try to make contact because I identify with my own soul or spirit. That's what I see in other people. I mean, it really is, you see the projection of your own reality outside. So I just feel like I'm meeting a lot of souls that are each going through their own working out of stuff. I mean, it just goes to show that it, it doesn't change. He knew intuitively that the way to deal with uh, these problems was to move towards it and embrace it in a way. And then to see that network of that context of karma around the other person and mm. try your best to show compassion to that mm. position that that being finds themselves in. I wanted to um, just say something about that based on the personal experience. Rago and I try and talk about things that we actually experienced. And as I said before, my father was an, a very left-wing guy. And, Basically, the person in England, the person that he despised most on the planet was definitely Richard Milhouse Nixon, the vice president to General President Eisenhower. And so I grew up with constant ranting about how terrible Nixon was. 
1968, I was working at WGBH-TV in Boston, and they asked me to do an interview with then Republican candidate Richard Nixon on youth issues, because I was a youth. The, the vote for people at 18, legalization of marijuana, and the draft. So I met Richard Nixon. And it was a very hard thing for me to do because it was like, you know, doing an interview with Satan in terms of my conditioning. It so happens that we got along very well. I spent three and a half hours with him in Boston in April of 1968 and found him to be extremely affable and very curious man. I don't mean curious odd. I mean, he was full of curiosity. This did not stop me from really loathing his policies in Vietnam and other matters. But as a man, I was actually able to get through to him. He really interrogated me about various things about England and about why English people didn't like him. And he was very vulnerable and kind of quiet. Uh, I was eventually ushered out of the hotel suite by his extremely mean-spirited aides. But, you know, that was a lesson for me at the age of 24, that this was my father's most hated person. I had to deal with him. I had to do this interview. And as a man, he wasn't particularly repulsive or aggressive. So I found common ground there. Did it change my opinion about his actions? Absolutely not. But it lessened my anger. It actually did. So I even knew back then that there was something about opening your heart, having a quiet heart, you know, a quiet heart around adversity that somehow made you less dogmatic and obnoxious, you know. You know what I mean, Raga? Yeah. I think you just gave a perfect example, actually, for what uh, we just heard, actually, uh, Ramdas's talk. You know, it was a funny talk about getting stopped in England and all of that. And I think that it is absolute—what uh, you said is—and and what caught my ear was when he talked about experiencing humanness, what, you know, human feelings— you know, you start to get down to that level, and then you are sitting with Nixon, and ex you're just one human being with another. No matter you, you know, uh, what his politics are, what actions he's taken, you know, and you're feeling that person, and and then it starts to be something else, and then um, you you realize, that, okay, he's caught where he's caught. And uh, and sometimes uh, the actions that he's taken are as a result of the uh, circumstances that uh, created that. His environment, his training, his brainwashing maybe by, you know, whatever the at that moment, you know, whatever the Republican Party was into. And uh, and finding that whatever common ground, I think that we have to do that. That is not easy, though, to find that common ground. And once you have that, you have some small shot at, at compassion, you know, about not thinking of that person as the other. So I think this is key, and uh, your example is a, is a tremendous—I don't even remember that story, actually. I haven't I mean, told you about it much, because the truth of the matter is, for weeks after that, I was berated by my uh, activist anti-Vietnam friends in, in Boston, because this was in the paper that this happened. And, you know, they really got on me about it. But I, I, I stuck to my guns and said that, no, I wasn't going to idolize Richard Nixon and never vote Republican, you know, heaven help me. But um, I did see that there was a man behind there. I mean, Ramdas says in that, in that piece such a beautiful thing. He says, I think he said, see why they are the way they are. If you can just step back that much, you know, to see why they are the way they are, it doesn't change the, um, the badness of something they may do but it stops you from wanting to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the whole thing about developing a sense of the humanity of each person that you're dealing with um, is key. I mean, you can't take any action unless you can develop that, you know, and it and it's, it goes a long way to, to the beginning of developing some kind of uh, heart of compassion. These are all big words, you know? I mean, we're uh, there's... And, and some pontification because i'm sure i'm going to go out and i'll see the news and see some horror that's gone on and i'm going right. to in, inside myself i'm going right. to react you know and i'm going to you know a stream of epithets i'm sure will come out of my mouth well, Raghu, so, when i when i a couple of weeks ago heard that there were 63 or 65 republican senators who refused to pass the bill for hurricane sandy when i'm living here and i've seen 
thousands of people still without, you know, water, electricity and ravaged lives. And that's one thing that the government can help them with. And these 63 senators, uh, congressmen rather, uh, voted absolutely against it. And it's not surprising that they were from certain areas of the country. I was furious, absolutely furious. And I wrote this long thing for Facebook. And then I got a phone call, which lasted an hour and a half. And I looked at my posting about these 60 guys and had to take it down because I saw such anger in it. I knew it wouldn't help. I just knew right. it. You know, yeah. and that's a recent Good. example mm. of my anger. I was so angry with them. How could they not have compassion for these poor people in Staten Island and Long Island and the Jersey Shore whose lives, whose lives have been absolutely destroyed probably by something which is caused by climate change? So there we go. The circle of that. Yeah. Black ignorance. You know, how do you not get angry at that? You're so right, though, man. You are. I mean, I, I'm angry now. <laughs> you know, I don't want I know, I know. This is a really difficult, uh, difficult thing. It almost takes like maybe if you were sitting with one of those senators, you have some shot, right? Because you can get into like you did with Nixon. I'm here. There's nothing I can do. Like I'm having this meeting with this person for whatever reason, you know, and and you Im immediately feel the common ground because Norm, that's what we want to do. We don't want to be in conflict with people. Although there is some part of us, too, that loves that, that uh, loves being, you know, we have our great group, like, um, you, know, you know, that Wall Street thing, um, you know, what's it, um, what's it called? Occupy, yeah. Occupy, Occupy. Occupy Wall Street. That movement, which is uh, the most recent kind of movement that would be tangential to... Uh, to stuff that went on in, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and I, you know, I have lots of friends who are, you know, have gone down and taken part in it. And one thing I find is a certain enjoyment of, about being us and them. There's yep. like, they're happy to be us and kill the them. And, you know, I can easily go there with them and they want me to go there with them, you know, and... That, it's it's a tough situation because there's actually some satisfaction being gained by feeling like you're part of a, a you know that group that's against that other group you know exactly I mean how do you deal with this you know sort of mass killings of children I mean it's like the, it's like a biblical thing from the Re revelations about end days it's so awful and hideous but the, I think just to get back to a moment for Ra to Ramdas's uh, you know brilliance in terms of the uh, present present it never fails if you can just pull it back and turn it down many notches to give you better wisdom into how to deal with something atrocious. It didn't work for six million Jews and many more million uh, other people in Germany and during the Nazi regime because it went too far beyond. And it was beyond the ability of anyone to fight them back. <laughs> the only miracle you can think of there is the fact that they lost the war. They probably should have won it given their cunning. But that's another issue altogether, which is, you know, how do you um, not get very exercised and angry about something which is just killing people? No, you know, not, not just iniquities or bank problems, but actual people being murdered on the planet at the same time, you know, like in Rwanda and uh, Serbia and, uh, you know, many, many places in our experience. I, that's extremely difficult, and I can't pontificate about that, just like you said, because every single day you have to kind of work on that, I guess. You know, how do I not get crazed? Yeah, well, now we're... You've taken this over the over the cliff, Dave. I mean, God, now I'm completely depressed. Uh, you know, this is way too much. And so I want to counterbalance it with something slightly that's positive. Okay. It's okay. Jeez, I mean, you know, the Nazis, the whole thing. I mean, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I, we can edit that out. Nah. Um, what I do want to give a positive experience that I had related to social action in the fall of last year. I, uh, you know, this is another reference with Ramdas, and what do we? What can we say? It seems to be is like uh, a large part of our lives because we work on. Dave and I work uh, for the uh, Love Serve Remember Foundation, ramdas.org, and we create all sorts of, we have 40 years of uh, 
like a thousand hours of media. It's amazing stuff. So we've been creating different uh, things with Ramdas and friends. He's just, uh, I mean, he's, we have him from everything from Daniel Ellsberg to Allen Ginsberg to Deepak Chopra to God knows, right? So we've been, we do a lot of stuff there. So he comes up a lot because he's been a rudder and he was a rudder for, so I'm telling you about, I'm, I went to a thing called the Social Venture Network. These are entrepreneurial social activists and they get together a couple times a year and they invigorate each other to move forward and, and more and more to do things that will be positive influences and make change in our world. And a wonderful group of people that Ramdas was uh, helped the founders like I don't know what 15, 20 years ago, um, and he was the representation of the spiritual heart of compassion. That you cannot lift a finger to make a change unless you first lift that finger within yourself. And so he got that credo going in, in this organization. I walked in there; I hardly knew anybody. Uh, Dave came to to visit one day, and we we talked to some people. And I, you know, you can comment after this, uh, and and say your experience. But mine was that these people truly did. A, they asked them to the the uh, the presenters. Please leave your ego at the door. Leave your role at the door. And there was a tremendous amount of interaction. You know, in many ways, uh, through breakout groups, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, presentations of people doing the most incredible good works around the world. I mean, I was blown away. Um, and uh, you know, we're talking about uh, the likes of um, Ben and Jerry. You know, the ice cream guys, and you know, they they were they've been there since the very beginning, and and so on. You know, a lot of these kinds of people who are really trying to do the right thing, but they are absolutely taking seriously the uh, notion of working on themselves to get themselves into a place where they're not railing angrily out against whatever they're taking social action for. And um, so they've, that is like the first baby step. And they're doing that. And so there is, you know, and of course we hear, you know, there, there's other people that are doing, uh, we have uh, Dr. Larry Brilliant, who is uh, good friends uh, of ours and was in, in India with us when we were there uh, many years ago. And uh, Larry works for Jeff Skoll. And Jeff Skoll, who uh, was a major person at eBay and obviously very wealthy, and he started a foundation and he's doing movies and doing this, that, and the other. And they are going around the world and um, hitting at the biggest things that are affecting from climate to pandemics to even this uh, situation in the Middle East. And they are absolutely, I know Larry and I know where he's coming from, is absolutely working on himself as he's doing this stuff. He is not caught in the polarization. He is definitely a great example of somebody who's who, who is doing this. And, and so there are positive things going on in this world. Of, of uh, And I would say, if we talked about this in the very beginning, the polarization of, uh, of spiritual spirituality, people on the spiritual path, and political activists, that and taking social action. Um, and I do believe when Ramdas said in that talk before that uh, people like Jerry Rubin in those days and Alan and uh, Dave Dillinger were starting to do stuff on themselves so that they didn't stop doing what they were doing, but they certainly were integrating it. I think that that is happening way more now. I, I think agree. we are in a I very agree. positive I mean, flow. You were talking on a macro level with the SVN stuff. But think about our friend Bhavani and her radio show and website, I Eat Green. I mean, it's totally beautiful, whole holistic way of eating and, and keeping yourself healthy. But she does mention issues, GMO issues and so forth, on her website constantly and on her show, even though she's talking about cooking. She's mm. still maintaining a conscious awareness of what relates to food that she finds um, uh, extremely, you know, spurious, to say the least. And GMOs are a big part of it. Well, Bhavani is just, a, you know, a friend who's doing this, and she's not a major corporation, but she has her... She's making a, a, a dent in whom, whoever listens to her or looks at her website. She does me. She educates me every time I read her, we her website. You know? So there's tons of that going on. We didn't have these tools in 1968. 
All we had were the streets. I mean, we weren't on network television. No one was listening. And eventually, you know, Walter Cronkite noticed that there were millions of people walking through the streets and started talking about it, and that helped end the war. Mm. Uh, now people are, have access, you know, to the Internet. And it gets back to that, Rago, you know, that people can uh, have a tremendous positive effect by, uh, you know, disseminating information that they ha they're privy to. So, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up the positive, you know, end of this, because um, I, I know that uh, people at Reality Sandwich, for instance, and Evolver are not just involved in talking about awareness, but they're also involved in many social issues uh, involving economics. Uh, Charles Eisenstein's book, Sacred Economics, is amazing for those of you who don't know it. Just an astonishing work. And he's part of, you know, those people in New York City. Uh, people are doing more now because the, the tools of, of communication are yeah. simply uh, amplified in a geometric way. It's just astonishing. Yeah. More than that, quantum. Yeah. I yeah. mean, what would we have done with the Internet in 1968? You know, my goodness. Mm. My... Well, it is absolutely true that that has enabled uh, a, um, a, a large swath of people being able to participate in social action through, through social networks. I mean, there's no doubt that that's going on. The Occupy thing was all about that. Um, but, I, you know, as much as all of this needs to be supported, and there's no doubt about that, the, you have to, to act. Everybody has to act, even if it's just getting up and signing a petition on Facebook. But this other, this other part has to be part of it. I mean, it absolutely, you know, the fact that as long as we are just, if, as soon as we look at somebody like other, we got to look back at ourselves. I mean, that's the first baby step that everyone has to take. So en enough of that already, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, uh, by the way, you, w the book you just mentioned, what's the name of the book you just mentioned? Sacred Economics. Mm. And I've seen uh, Mr. Eisenstein talk and he simply puts together a, a much more, oh my goodness, you know, a truly spiritual, deep approach to the uh, displacement of monies. And, and so that's an example of how, you know, I, I don't know whether he'd love the word spiritual. I'm not sure I do sometimes. But people who are involved in inner work, right. uh, applying themselves to uh, societal problems such as you know, you think of economics, you don't necessarily think that it's going to ever take in um, advanced thought or meditative stuff. But he's worked, he's done that, and I well, recommend that book to anyone. Do you think it's on audible.com? Because we, you know, we have to mention one of our sponsors, audible.com, uh, who has all these wonderful uh, uh, books that you can download and listen anywhere with great readers. And uh, audible.com slash uh, mind rolling podcast. Uh, we'll send you over there and get you a free, uh, a free month to get this thing going. Audible.com. Um, so, wanted to mention them. Um, any other thoughts, Dave? I think we're coming to the close of this. Yeah, we are. I think, you know, even just during the sort of existential experience of doing this podcast. I've been, you know, you can't help but examine yourself. And I guess that's what everybody has to do in a way, you know. So why am I angry? And should I justify this anger because there's something so terrible happening? Well, you've got to look into yourself, you know, and it, it doesn't matter what tradition you're in, you know. I mean, if it goes anywhere from Ramakrishna to, to Christ Jesus of Nazareth, you know, saying that, you know, turning the other cheek and forgiving but not forgetting is probably the, the right way to, to deal with some of this pretty difficult stuff. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you in particular, though, <laughs> coming from <laughs> this <laughs> political activist yeah. family, um, and you, you're an, you know, well, we're both immigrants here. I was going to accuse you of being an immigrant that should, yeah. uh, you know, this, this, you know, I, I think there needs to be a little bit more nationalistic spirit coming from you about America. I haven't. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I'm I have But I mean, I'd be nowhere. If I'd have, you know, moved from England to Tierra del Fuego, I'd be on a mountain really happy. Well, listen, the per what about this, you know, the paternalistic thing Ram Dass talked about? I mean, you should really feel that because you've been allowed and me <laughs> to stay here. But you are still 
a citizen of England. You can be thrown out at any time. I it's actually got green, my... It's called a green card. And by the United States Constitution, although I have no idea if it's in the Constitution, um, I'm allowed to do what I want. But I, yeah, I'm a member of the European community, and I'm happy because I want to be a member of all communities. Yeah, well, that one's going down the drain, so you ought to be happy you're here. Um, folks, this is Mind Rolling Podcast, mindrollingpodcast.com. We um, we do have these lovely sponsors, but um, we depend on you guys to help support uh, keeping uh, Dave in the grub and uh, me to get gas in my car. And uh, because I got to do a lot of driving around North Carolina in those mountains. So uh, just go to our website and uh, donate if you can. That would be wonderful. You know, we do appreciate the support, folks. We really do. Um, and. Uh, like food, uh, like transportation. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, I'll tell you, Dave Silver is a wonderful man. He has created, uh, if you go to mindrollingpodcast.com, you will see extras. And Dave has created on uh, this most wonderful um, uh, tips on different books and, and playing videos and music and so on. I mean, he has done... A, what's your latest thing? What's up there now? Oh, um, up there now are three actual quotes from His Holiness, Dalai Lama, uh, from a book called The Path to Tranquility. And it's very appropriate for all times, but for now, I think. And it actually relates to this podcast a little bit. Anyway, there are three quotes that I really treasure and... Um, uh, and then before that, there's tons of other stuff. We we put music on there that we like, and we put books and and you know everything that sort of crosses our mind that we think would not hurt the planet a little bit. Yeah. So um, and we may even have a T-shirt, so, Dave. Yeah, a t what will it, what will it it's going to say, "Mind Rollers, mug yeah. your mind." If yes. you like that, send money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is it. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you, Reality Sandwich. And you guys from Reality Sandwich that are listening to this, we'd love to have you on a weekly basis. And uh, subscribe to the podcast. And we will see you next week.